couple of hundred years ago, if you cut your hand, you might have lost your finger, you might have lost your hand, you might have lost your arm, you might have died because we didn't understand what infections were and how they operate within our body and how to deal with them. Welcome to the Biology of Business, where we talk about the anatomy and physiology of a business so you can apply your clinical reasoning skills to your business reasoning and create a healthy, sustainable, impactful and profitable clinic. I hope you enjoy listening and subscribe. Hello and welcome to today's Biology of Business show and we are joined by Paul Wilson. Welcome Paul. Now you're confusing me with a t-shirt that says California on. Are you in California or are you still in Folkestone? I'm in not so sunny folks, and this is just to throw you off the scent, basically. <laughs> um, Paul, can you introduce yourself? Tell the listeners what it is that you do. Oh, God, how long have we got? So good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you are in the world. My name is Paul, and I am a hypnotist and a coach. I basically help people get out of their own way, in a nutshell. And I do that using some really strange voodoo-type magic which can uh, blow your mind. So then, well, and Paul's you have been warned. Today, Paul's joined today to talk about how we might reimagine health and the delivery of health if we could start again from scratch. So, Paul, you wanted to begin by perhaps discussing your views on Western medicine. And, okay, yeah. Whenever we have this kind of conversation, not you and I, but when people have this conversation about how we can reimagine health, People start bashing Western medicine. They start bashing the NHS. They start bashing doctors and nurses and all the rest of it. And that's completely wrong. Without Western medicine, most of us wouldn't be here. You think of the plague and the black death and just a basic infection. A couple of hundred years ago, if you cut your hand, you might have lost your finger. You might have lost your hand. You might have lost your arm. You might have died because we didn't understand what infections were and how they operate within our body and how to deal with them. Western medicine figured that out. You know, if you broke an ankle, you were liable either to end up completely disabled or you would die. These days, it's an inconvenience and it hurts, but you can get it fixed and within a few months, you're back to normal again. So Western medicine is completely vital to the way we live. What I'd like to discuss is kind of how we can make their life, i.e. the people that work in medicine easier, and also kind of enhancements that we could use to augment the, the medical world. And one of the biggest issues I have is the fact, to use a phrase that you mentioned just before we started, Kate, we can't outsource our health. And what I personally mean by that is that we must take responsibility for our health. Yeah. And I mean that, okay, if you get some rare disease, then fine. But colds, flu, and all kinds of illnesses in the main are preventable to a large extent if we take care of ourselves. The sad truth is most of us don't. Yeah, we've been conditioned, certainly. Well, we're both in the UK where we've had state-funded healthcare system now for, well, a long time. 1947, I think it was, just after World War II. Five years, I think there was a celebration of the NHS this year, wasn't there? And so there's a, there's a, we've been conditioned into this safety net that there's a third party that will pick up our disease, our ill health, our mistreatment of our own bodies. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you take your car to a garage because it ain't working and you go fix it 
And the mechanic goes, yeah, okay, mate, and come back in a week and they fix your car. But we, you can't do that with your body because yes, if you break a leg, you can go to hospital and get it fixed. But if you're not taking care of yourself, all the stuff, you know, we're talking about, you know, exercise, eating right, not drinking too much and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. If you don't do that and you get ill, then it's your responsibility. A lot of people, no, 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 no. They made me do it. I was hypnotized into eating 50,000 McDonald's in the past two months and drinking 14 pints of lager every night. Well, I'm sorry, nobody came around your door, grabbed you by the scruff of the neck and poured those 14 pints down your neck. That was a choice that you made. And if you make those choices, you have to accept the consequences. And my biggest bugbear is that when you go to hospital, you see a lot of people that are in there because of their own mistreatment of themselves. Sundays in summer are a classic. If you go to A&E, pretty much anywhere in the UK on a Sunday afternoon, you'll see usually men with bits of their toes missing because they've been cut in the grass with, in flip-flops or barefoot. You'll see people with barbecue injuries, some quite serious ones. Uh, you'll see people, you know, that have fallen off ladders that don't do kind of basic health and safety checks before embarking on some kind of activity in the home, which were preventable. But people have this attitude, oh, it'll never happen to me. And what happens? It does happen to you. And you end up missing three toes and taking up four hours and, and a high skilled doctor and nurse's time over something that you could have stopped imagining. So what if there were no third party available to pick up the pieces? What if we were living where we were having to be totally self-reliant on ourselves for our, for our health? How would that perhaps change our outlook? It wouldn't change our outlook, unfortunately. It would just mean there'd be a lot less of us around. Because if there was no national health system, we would be responsible for taking care of ourselves. And a lot of people would, and a lot of people wouldn't. And those that didn't would have much shorter life expectancies. I mean, the average life expectancy today for a guy is around about 70-something. For women, it's around about 80-something. That's because of the advances that we've made in medicine. We live longer, we have allegedly better lifestyles and better access to better food. The problem that we face is that we overconsume lots of things. And what I mean by that is we eat too much food, we drink too much alcohol, and we don't compensate by exercising regularly, uh, sitting in front of the TV too much, all this kind of stuff. So. If there was no NHS and if there was no kind of medical facilities, I actually think life expectancy would be kind of at pre-war levels and there'd be a lot less of us. Do you think it would bring about a, a fear of living, a, a fear of going out on your bike, a fear of going on a skateboard or mowing the garden, a fear of living to a full extent without... Uh, no, I think just the opposite. People would still get on with their lives, but I think most people would pay a little bit more attention to how they live their lives. People would still skateboard and ride bikes and stuff like that, but I think people would be a little bit more attentive. They would make sure their bikes were in good nick. They'd make sure that, um, you know, they they knew something about first aid or they, we might not call it first aid, but they knew how to kind of fix themselves if they're injured. So, you know, plasters and washing out injuries and such like the kind of stuff we were doing 
before doctors became doctors, if that makes sense, when we had, you know, like the wise women and the, the apothecaries that lived in kind of small towns and villages who you would go to if you damaged yourself. So it was kind of rudimentary medicine, but a lot of it was based on kind of country law and almost kind of the Eastern medicine, a lot of herbs and potions and so a lot of which were poisonous. Yeah, it actually killed people. I mean, like the use of leeches. You go back to what the seventeenth, eighteenth centuries. They used to draw people's blood because they they reckoned that if somebody was ill, it was a problem with the blood, and so you had to kind of remove the blood. So they'd use leeches, or they would bleed people, and people would die from the medical treatment. So I think there'd be a lot of dodgy treatments out there, but equally there'd be a lot of more kind of homespun, practical treatments that worked. I used to live with a nurse who worked on a plastic surgery ward many moons ago. And uh, she, yeah, she was full of stories of leeches. And I think leeches even featured on her professional magazine that came through the door once a month. They're definitely oh. still in use, so they were 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah, but um, maggots, maggots are actually used to, when somebody's had a really, really nasty accident, they use maggots to kind of clean away all the dead flesh. And that's been around for maybe thousands of years. And it's only recently started coming back into use because it, although it sounds really bizarre, it's a much cleaner and healthy way to deal with the, the dead skin and the stuff that we don't want in a wound anymore. So if we had no um, third party to have the option of outsourcing our health to, we may well take more responsibility or more alert of the responsibility that we should perhaps take for our own health and learn how to assess the risks that we're going to choose to take and know how to deal or know uh, who to phone, phone a friend, if we want to be able to deal with the consequences of those risks if it goes wrong, if we do fall apart, I can get a nasty cut, if we do... Yeah, I think the thing we need to do, though, is we just kind of balance this out because going back to those days, people were a lot more active. There were, there were no TVs, there were no radio, so you made your own entertainment. And most people worked very, very long hours, and more often than not, six or seven days a week. So they were physically active a lot of the time. And being physically active is what we were designed for. It's like you and I are both sitting in chairs, okay? And people watching this are probably sitting in chairs, but we are not designed to sit in chairs. We're designed to walk, run, and, and squat, basically. You know, actually sit down on our haunches. That's what we, how we were designed to do. So sitting is probably one of the worst activities that any human being actually undertakes because it just kind of malforms the body when you sit for a long time. And who hasn't gone, oh, God, bad backs being sat in the chair for 12 hours kind of thing you know, and now we use exercise to replace living actively absolutely but we have to because if we don't use our what's the word physicality we start to seize up and i noticed this at the back end of last year and the start of this year um my feet were swelling up literally there were the back of the foot kind of where the the foot joins the lower leg was swelling up to kind of three, four times its normal size. And I was wondering, what the hell's going on? So I Googled it, and there's all these kind of horrible diseases and everything. And I kind of dug a little bit more. And then I realized that it was because I'd been sitting 
so much. And I'd been sitting with a, with my feet on a platform, which I thought was beneficial. So my feet were at an angle. And in fact, it was the complete opposite of what I needed to do. And once I got out and started walking again every day, my feet returned to normal. There's no pain, no nothing. And what's really interesting there is you were questioning what's changed. You were looking for what is the root cause of the change in my body. So you were going back to asking the question, well, what's changed? This wasn't a problem. What has changed for it now to be a problem? So rather than just treating the symptoms, you were searching for what is the root cause of this? What's changed? And what if I unchange that? What happens? Yeah, absolutely. Because a lot of people have probably gone to the doctor. The doctor gone, oh, it's X, Y, Z, take some tablets. And I thought, well, I don't want to go down that route yet. I want to make sure that it's not something that, uh, that's self-inflicted. So I, thought, I know what I'll do. What have I not done recently? And I don't know why I'd stopped, but I'd stopped walking. So I started walking again. And every morning now I walk for a couple of hours. I do, was it 10,000 steps or five miles? And that cured my problem. It's also cured a lot of other issues as well, because I was feeling I'd wake up really stiff and, oh, my back hurts, my shoulders hurt, and this hurts and that hurts. But now I feel great because I actually get up and I go for a walk and my body loves it. My body's actually thanking me for getting active again. And this is one of the biggest issues. A lot of the times we don't need massive medical intervention. We don't need to find lots of kit and back rests and neck supports and all this kind of thing. She needs to get out on bloody walk or swim or something. Remove the environmental toxins, whether they're in how we're moving, how we're what we're eating, but remove that remove the the things that are harming us from our from our environment, from our space. Yeah, and you know, stop harming ourselves. And when I say I'm not talking about taking the wrong kind of drugs or anything, I'm talking about just not moving. We are physical creatures, you know, just like any of the other kind of mammals out there, they move most of the time and we don't, but you're right. Yeah. We, it's really funny. We kind of think we're cleaning our homes by dusting and polishing and hoovering and putting stuff down the loo and clean the bathroom. But like you just said, we're actually poisoning ourselves because if you actually look at the label on some of these things we use to clean our properties, they're, they're basically just poisoned, essentially, you know, arsenic. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. What was I reading? It was, oh, that was right. It was uh, an underarm spray. Yeah. To stop your armpit smelling. Yeah. And I looked at the label and there's all these things I didn't know, understand. They said arsenic. And again, they want me to spray arsenic under my arms, which has got access to the rest of my body. That's crazy. So I stopped using them. I found a natural alternative and I, I've now kind of gone retro in the sense that whenever I want to polish my flat, which is quite rare, <laughs> I look for the you know, natural polishing thing or natural way. And I look for things that have got the minimum number of pollutants that possible. So that I'm not polluting my environment because I live here. I spend most of my day here. And the last thing I want to be doing is kind of inhaling more toxins than absolutely necessary. It's just not good for us. So you describe that um, so many uh, hospital admissions are through self-sabotage or a lot of illness and disease is self-inflicted. Now, with your professional expertise as a hypnotist, what so often is the root cause of self-sabotage or self-inflicted? I mean, we're not talking about the 
extremes of um, of self harm here, but of this drip, 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 drip lack of conscious awareness or conscious choosing of how we treat our bodies. Yeah, but there's a couple of things. First of all, we don't take time to consider the risk involved. For example, if you're going to mow the lawn and you're using an electric plugged in thing to mow the lawn, you wouldn't mow the lawn in the, in the pouring rain, hopefully not. So equally, why would anyone mow the lawn in flip-flops when their feet are so close to a machine that can rip the toes off? Just, you know, take, literally, all you need to do is take a minute. What do I need to do to make sure I'm not going to hurt myself? I'm going to mow the lawn, uh, so blades, feet, I'll wear shoes. Also, I won't, I won't mow the lawn after I've had a couple of glasses of wine. I'll wait for the couple of glasses of wine till I've mowed the lawn because alcohol can make us think and miss and do funny things. So if you have a couple of beers before you mow the lawn, that makes you less able to concentrate and to focus and more likely to make a mistake. Like, you know, never ever climb a ladder to wash a window if you've had a couple of beers or a couple of glasses of wine. Simple little things. We don't take the time to think. Most people these days, and I say most people, when they're going to drive somewhere, they'll, you know, get in the car, put the seatbelt on, check the mirror, and off they go. So they do the basic safety checks. They may not check the oil and the tire pressures every single day, but at least they'll put their seatbelt on and they'll drive sober. So why is it that when we're inside the house, we think we, we think we're safe when we're not? You know, people burn their hands and faces and all kinds of horrible things because they're not paying attention. They're trying to multitask or again, they had a couple of glasses of wine and they're trying to cook this, doing the barbecue and they make silly mistakes. You know, they, they slip because they've had a couple of beers, they're a little bit, you know, woo, tipsy and they slip and they put their hand on the barbecue or they knock the barbecue over and their friend who's sitting there gets a, a lap full of char charcoals. So is this a case of us just living in a very busy, noisy world where we're distracted so we don't have the time to think all the great That's a really bad excuse. People use that excuse all the time. When I say, you know, think about it, I'm literally, you just need to take a minute. Is this a good time for me to go up and try and fix that thing? I've had a couple of beers. No, it's not a good time. There's nothing wrong with saying, no, it's not a good time. I'll do it tomorrow morning when I'm so, when I've not had any beers, I can concentrate and make sure the ladder's straight and all that kind of stuff. We find that one issue that I've got is people don't want to take responsibility. And why is that, Paul? Why do you think that is? Because people don't want to feel stupid. Oh, the ladder was wobbly or the, I, the, the barbecue had three legs. Or the bloody kids were running around. People will blame other things rather than take responsibility themselves. You know, like, oh, well, it wasn't so attractive, this, all this food. Yeah, I'm, over, I'm overweight because they make chocolate so tasty and they make, you know, these drinks full of... Yes, they do. But you're a grown-up and you know that they, you do. But today, people let things in their mind fester. Rather than getting it sorted, rather than get help, and blokes are, are really bad for this. I mean, I hate to say this, but suicide is the biggest killer of men in this country. Um, adults over 35, I think it's 12 a day, 12 blokes every single day take their own lives. So horrific number because we let things fester. 
it's always this, there's still this thing, despite you being 2022, there's still this thing about blokes can't cry. Blokes can't share their feelings. Blokes can't talk about stuff. Now it's changing, but it's changing too slowly. It's not changing fast enough and the people are still taking their lives because we don't ask for help. A lot of people don't know how to ask for help. They don't know who to talk to. That's one of the biggest things is they just don't know how to get that help. So something that you brought up before we started recording this, when we were, were we went on air, was the um, point about installing some healthy habits in kids, so that some of these things, like knowing how to make friends and prevent loneliness, um, these life skills of how to mitigate tricky situations, and certainly, you know, one of the things I, my son always gets out of swimming pool happy. And I said to him, it's a secret weapon. If you ever feel sad in life, you know, you simply go for a swim. You always get out better than you went in. Um, so I, I'm guessing from what you're describing that if we can instill some of these healthy habits in from a very, very young age, then less thought is required in how to solve a problem because like the seatbelt, it's a habit. You, 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 you just know what to do. What we need to do is we need to start working on adults. Let me kind of define what I mean. To drive a car on your own, on the, on the road, you need to pass a test. You need to have lessons and pass a test to a certain level, and then you're allowed to drive the car on your own. But anybody can have a baby. Anybody that's physically capable can have sex with somebody and get pregnant and have a child, which is great. But the problem is we don't teach people how to be parents. We don't show them how to now, again, going back a couple hundred years, you'd be in a big family, his uncles, aunts, his brothers, sisters, there'd be a big network of family around you. So you'd kind of learn by osmosis. Your, your mum would teach a lot of mum things and, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Whereas these days we don't have those kind of networks. So a lot of people have a child and they're pretty much left to their own devices. And people say, Google it. Well, the problem is with on Google, there's lots of good advice. There's also lots of bad advice. So what I'm suggesting is we start to educate adults and children at the same time. And we start to teach them about resilience, about taking care of themselves, about being responsible. For example, everybody on this planet pretty much knows that smoking is bad for you. And smoking is worse if you're pregnant with a child. Yeah, I still see regularly heavily pregnant women smoking cigarettes. Yeah, and they've often got another kid with them as well. So in the house or in their environment, that child is inhaling secondhand smoke and the baby is becoming susceptible to all kinds of diseases because the mum is smoking. Why? Where is the missing link? How come this person is smoking when she's pregnant? And yet pretty much everybody knows that that's a big no-no. How has this person slipped through the net? What is that person going through that's encouraging her to smoke cigarettes when she's heavily pregnant, which is leading that child to potential list of all kinds of nasty, nasty diseases. And so there's a gap, there's a knowledge gap somewhere. And I think we have to work from kind of bottom upwards. So it meets in the middle. Now you're a fan of social prescribing. Yeah, I think there are lots of, and I can use this phrase, alternative medicine. I don't really like that phrase, but I can't think of a better one. 
what I'm talking about are alternative therapies that have proven to work, not the kind of the out there ones, ones that have been checked scientifically and we know that work and that can help people. The biggest problem for me is that GPs and the medical profession don't have enough time. There aren't enough GPs in this country because if you go see your doctor, you've got what? Somewhere between five and 10 minutes for an appointment. That's nowhere near enough time for the GP to have a good look at you and to talk to you and really get to the phrase you use, the root cause of what's going on. Now, very, very slowly, there are changes being made. We're getting uh, nurse practitioners who can help take some of the load of doctors. Because social prescribing is, okay, you've got depression, you need to get out more. So go and join this gardening club or go and learn how to paint or to draw or stuff like this. And that is a prescription that in some parts of the country, we're starting to give people. Loneliness leads to depression. Depression can lead to all sorts of other things. So if you can help someone not be lonely and show them how to make friends and give them the opportunity to put them in environments where they can make friends, you're prescribing something that's going to make them feel better rather than giving them um, some kind of medication, which is necessary in some cases, absolutely. But in a lot of cases, there are alternatives. The challenge that we face is that we don't give our medical profession enough time to be able to sit with a patient and go, okay, Paul, what's the problem? Let's have a good old chin wag about what's going on. So the doctor can then really, really kind of take a step back and go, right, okay. I don't think this person needs X, Y, Z. They need to get out and make friends. They don't know how to do it. So I know what I can do. I can point them in the direction of this club or that club or the other club. We, we need a lot more of this. It's again, going back two, 300 years. This is what used to happen. You were ill. You'd go and see the wise woman and she wouldn't give you like, you know, five minutes. You'd sit there for an hour, two hours, and she'd talk to you and figure out what the problem was. And yes, she may give you a potion or a poultice or some kind of medicine. Quite often, just talking to her, she would go, all oh, right, I know what you need to do. You need to go and help Fred and Barney pull that tree up. And tell them I sent you. And this is what they do. So it's kind of like a, <laughs> a 17th century kind of social prescribing. It wasn't called that. It was called, you know, this person needs some help. And I know one way this person could be helped is by getting them to go and weed my garden for me. And that's the thing that's missing oh, now. That's some purposeful living. Yeah, purposeful living. A lot of us don't live with purpose. Now, I'm not a big fan of this word purpose because people go, oh my God, you know, I don't know what my purpose is. I'm just not going to bother. Yeah. You don't actually need a purpose. You just need something to, to aim towards. It's like uh, if, you're, if, you're, if you sail, you've got a yacht, and you want to go from uh, I don't know, Liverpool to New York in your yacht. So you're going to plot a course, and you're going to set sail, and then the wind, the wind obviously changes direction. So you adjust your course. So this is the route you want to go, but you may go this way, this way, this way. You're going to change direction so many times, but you will still get to the destination. And I think this is what people miss out is that, Rather than trying to find a purpose, just get out and live your life. Just get out and do stuff. And actually making the time to find a purpose is how you get out and learn new things and make new friends. Because you don't actually need it. You just need the idea 
that you need it. Because then you get out and you start doing things. You start looking for the thing. And when you start looking for the thing, you find other stuff. Oh, I never realized I love photography. Oh, wow. I just love working in this garden with all these people. And you, you discover things that you never thought you'd like doing simply because you've gone looking for that thing. And that's what's missing. People think, oh God, I don't have a purpose. End of story. I'm just going to go to work, come home, go to work, come home, go to work and sit and watch your telly. Whereas if people started thinking, you know what? I really would like to find a purpose. So I'm going to go and do stuff that's going to help me find one. And they'd have a lot more fun. There'd be a lot less loneliness if we kind of went down that road. And some things will grow well and stick and some things won't, just like your vegetable patch. That's it. It doesn't matter. Your parsnips might not. <laughs> exactly right. But it doesn't matter. The, the point is you're out doing stuff. And that's the whole thing. Just being out doing stuff will get you in front of people. We'll get you looking at new things. We'll get you looking at parsnips and turnips and cabbages and lettuce and tomatoes, the whole variety of things. And that's what's missing right now. Thank you. So, Paul, just before we wrap up, there's a crystal ball in front of you. The future of health. What do you see about the future of health in that crystal ball? Oh, in the short term, not much change because of the way we're living at the moment and the fact that people don't want to take responsibility for their own lives. Over the long, long, long term, I think there'll be massive changes to our health because people will be forced to take responsibility for their health. And whether that's in changes in the law or in how we deal with health as a, as a whole. I mean, I can see a system in the future whereby you have a number of points that you can use to go to the NHS for free. And that includes serious and not so serious. So people go, oh, I want to save my points just in case I have a really serious thing. So they're going to start looking after themselves. So they're going to start not cutting the loan in their flip-flops. They're going to start thinking about, hmm, is this a good time to climb up that ladder? They'll start thinking responsibly about whether they should take an action rather than, you know, just kind of willy-nilly going into it. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this podcast valuable, here are four ways I can help you grow your practice for free. Firstly, visit www.marklandmethod.com forward slash grow. There you'll find access to the free Profit Without Pills program. You'll also have opportunity to register for the free web class, the triage call, and you'll be able to sign up for the weekly email newsletter where you get hints and tips on how to create a profitable and sustainable practice. And finally, please leave a five-star review so I can get access to influential people and speakers and bring them here so that they can share their lessons with you.